Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Titus. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. All right, welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word, amen? First and foremost, I want to thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen, for making this all possible for us by becoming obedient unto death, going to the cross, to suffer an agonizing death so we can get set free from the power of sin, amen? Thank you, Jesus, for saving us and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. I'd like to thank the Smithfield Avenue Congregational Church for letting us do our study in their facility. One body, many parts. We're grateful for that. I'm so grateful for the people who so diligently serve this ministry in and outside of here. We're grateful we all need each other, right? For this to function properly. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for everyone here. If you have a cell phone, please silence it. And we'll start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly, merciful, loving Father, Lord, thank you for allowing us this awesome opportunity, Lord, again, to gather together as your family, to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about your character, Lord, and what you would have us do with our lives, Lord. Thank you for getting us all here safely, Lord. Thank you for giving us the Lord Jesus Christ to walk alongside us on this journey, Lord, and thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit as a deposit till we go home to be with you, Lord, so you can teach us. And be with us, Lord. And thank you for always watching over us, Lord. We're just so grateful for that, Lord. Thank you for each other, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful congregation and church, Lord, that so lovingly cares about each other, Lord, and you, Lord, that comes here with the right heart and spirit, Lord. We're just so grateful for that, Lord. Thank you for saving us, Father, and giving us a new life and a new heart, Lord. Help us to... Show each other that new heart, Lord, by coming here in the spirit, not in the flesh, Lord, and making allowances for each other's faults because of your love for us, Lord, which is unconditional. Help us to love each other unconditional, Lord, like you love us, Lord. Help us love ourselves unconditionally, Lord, for when we fall short, we know that your grace and mercy always lifts us back up again, Lord. We pray for this great nation, Lord, that you keep your healing hand on it, Lord, for the sake of your chosen ones and your believers, Lord, so we can bring others into the kingdom, Lord. And let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to stand. Brittany, Jasmine, and Deb are going to come up and sing for us to usher in the spirit, and we're going to get started.
What a great song, huh? The enemy has to leave at the sound of your great name. Amen? Jesus makes the devil tremble. How's everybody doing tonight, all right? Glad I'm here. It's great to come on a Wednesday, halfway point through the week, you know, just to get, you know, plugged back in to the spiritual, you know, so it's definitely a battle out there, amen? We all, we all go through it. just want to mention Saturday will be a, a day of prayer that the whole nation is going to be praying. Um, there's one thing that all denominations have in common. We all pray. That's one thing we got right. All the different denominations, they have all kinds of different doctrines and beliefs and everything. But one thing we all do is pray. So that's a good thing, okay? So if you, you know, want to participate in that, we will be praying on Saturday for the nation and all things. Because we all need it, that's for sure. I also like to throw a shout out to all our live feed people out there that can't be with us. You're with us in spirit and we just want to say hello to you. I'm grateful that you're here with us. Okay, let us turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Mary's got that awesome scripture on the board there, and this is going to be, I'm going to have to go a little further with it, I think. <laughs> this is something that every Christian has to equip themselves with every day to get out there in the world. It tells us to, the whole armor of God, verse 10. You know, when the, when the people put armor, when they used to put armor on in, the, in those days, of the evil days, I mean, it covered their whole body. We have to, like, cover from head to toe with the Word of God. It's like, it's like the devil's trying to get in between our toes everywhere. He, just, <laughs> he gets in everywhere. Every, everywhere there's a chink in the armor, he gets his way, he worms his way through. We have to, we have to know what our weaknesses is. All right, look at a final word. Chapter 10, all right, now's the time to just focus now and put everything aside. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart tonight, okay? He's going to take over now. A final word, Apostle Paul, the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. So one thing we know for sure, to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power is in His Word. Being knowledgeable about the Word of God and all His promises. That's what gives us power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. The devil is very strategic. He knows how to get his way into every believer. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we fell into. He's like a, a fisherman. He sets the bait. He throws the things at us. He waits till we're tired or hungry or lonely or whatever it might be. And then he throws out that relief. To make us grab on it. He knows our weaknesses because we already gave in. Whatever you That's why God hates sin so much. Whatever you give in to the devil, now he's going to tempt you for the rest of your life with. Once you open the door to it, you're going to have to fight this for the rest of your life. Amen? That's why if you don't do it, then you don't have to have a problem with it. If you don't start it, then it won't happen. But once you open the door to sin, and whatever it is, the devil now knows 
what that is, and you sold out to it, and he's going to come, and he's going to tempt you with it. Is he going to make you do it? No, but he's definitely going to tempt you. Yeah. You're the one that has to carry it out, but now you know you have the power of the Lord. You have to put on all the armor. We're going to be teaching on that stuff. Verse 12, look. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So, that's creepy. Yeah, what we're fighting against. You know, it's like a lot of things. You know, the Bible tells us not to open the doors to any of that stuff. Because once you open the doors to that, they, they channel into you, the attachments, they come, and you can't get rid of them. They attach themselves to you, evil spirits, and you can't get rid of them. That's why you got to be very careful with any of that stuff the Bible tells us. It tells us. Now, look, it says we're not fighting it. See, here's the problem with Christianity. We, a person comes at us, the Christian attacks the person and ruins it. It's not the person. The devil is behind the person, using the person. We read, we went into, remember we went into the book of Jude? Hate the sin that contaminates their life, not the sinner. We go after the sinner and we start what? Yelling and screaming at him and saying things to him and talking about them when it's really the devil behind it all. You have to understand that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. The devil loves when we what, attack each other, especially Christians. And then the unbelievers that we're supposed to bring to Jesus, we're not to attack them because they're under the control of the evil one. We, have to, we know the Bible, they're under that control. Why would we want to go after them and attack them? We were once like that too. And it's going to say that in Titus. We're going to read that again. We have to understand, we were like that too before God opened our eyes and separated it from us. Okay, so now it says, Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. It's not, it's when. It's going to happen. You have to be able to resist it. It's not if, it's when it's going to happen. Then it says, after the battle, look. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Let me tell you something. The devil will beat you up. Especially as, you know, we were just, Brittany was just sharing on, we're getting this message out there. The daily walk is flourishing. Don't think we're not going to get attacked because of it. We're going to get a barrage of a counterattack. In any army, any war, whenever there's a victory, there's always a counterattack. So now that we're getting this out, we have to be more vigilant and put on this armor knowing that he's going to attack the whole congregation, not just the leadership. He's going to try to discourage everybody because all of us are part of the body. Whether you're participating in it or not is not the issue. You're still part of it. As long as you're here, you're supporting it. So you're all part of it. So you have to understand, you are going to come under attack. So you have to be prepared for that. So then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Now, we don't fight flesh and blood. Right? We get on our knees and we pray. We talk to other believers. We get into the Word of God. That's how we fight the battle. Res uh, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. We have to submit to God, God to a humble state of mind, which we're going to be teaching on tonight, humility, something that's very hard to be humble. Especially after we become Christian for a while, we get prideful, spiritual pride. It's wrong. 
Now look what it says. Verse 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Just imagine now, you got yeah, here comes the devil. He shoots an arrow at you. You knock it off. But he's going to throw more than one. Okay? He's not going to just give, oh, you've knocked one off, I'm going to run away. No. He's going to shoot more at you. You have to understand it right here to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So don't think that because you got resisted one that there's not going to be another and another and another. As a matter of fact, once he starts his attack, it might happen throughout the whole day. You have to be fully prepared. It's put on the armor of God. You're going to put all the, everything that you're learning on every morning when you get up. It's like putting on your clothes. You're going to put on God. That's what the armor is. Everything that you're learning about God, His ways, His promises, His salvation, His truth, this, that's what you have to put on every day. If you don't, the devil's going to get in and he's going to get an arrow through. And then we're going to fail. And he's not going to stop, by the way. The devil doesn't stop, by the way. He doesn't stop. He'll say, okay, sufficient for, all right, you got me today, but tomorrow I'm coming back. So be ready. You have to understand the principles of spiritual warfare. Whenever there's a victory in any believer's life, you have to be prepared of any kind of a blessing. You have to be prepared for a counterattack now. It's only going to last so long that then it, here comes a counterattack. You have to be prepared. Remember when um, Elisha won the victory at Mount Carmel? Mm -hmm. Against all the prophets of Baal, God burned them all up, yeah. killed them all. The next thing he was doing was hiding in the cave, running from Jezebel. Because there was a counterattack. They put a contract on his life after. And what did he do? He ran up in the cave to hide. Guys, what are you doing? I didn't tell you to go up there. I told you to go out there. I'm protecting you. Don't you worry. But you see what happened here. It was a counterattack that came, and he fell into fear and anxiety and sent him up into the cave. That's what happens to us. All the principles of the Bible are spiritual. That's why we have to learn them. And that's why I'm here to help teach you them so you can understand them. Okay? God has gifted me with that for you. Now it says, look what it says. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows. Put on salvation as your helmet. Get it into your head that you are saved. You are saved from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. You are saved from that. So whenever the devil comes and tells you, how do you, you're not saved. Look at, no, the power of sin you are saved from. At the cross, he saved you from not only the penalty, but the power of sin that controls your life. You have to understand that when the fiery comes and the temptations of the flesh come. Knowing that you are saved from that. You are delivered from that. If you fall into it, you simply forgot. That you were saved from it. How many of us forget? <laughs> yeah. That's why we have to keep... Repetition is the key to what? Retention. You have to keep coming back and hearing it again. And again. And again. And again. And then again. And then again and again. Because 
We forget how to do the right things, and the wrong things are already embedded in us. But the right things get washed out if we don't keep doing it. Okay, you have to understand this principle. Now it says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is what cuts through all of that and gives us the power. Now look what it says in verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Look, the Bible tells us to pray in the Spirit at all times. On all, on every occasion. Whatever is going on in your life, just pray about it. At work, in the car, everywhere. You don't have to go into a closet to pray. God wants you to talk to Him. Prayer is just communicating with God. He wants to hear from you all the time. That's what keeps us rooted and grounded. Prayer. Now it says, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. We have to, look, we forget, we forget to pray sometimes. It tells us to be persistent. These things are being developed into our character. See, the character of God is being developed in us. That's why we need a lot of grace and mercy. Because we, have, we already adopted the character of Adam. That's already in us. You don't have to try to get that. It's already there. We don't have to be taught how to do wrong. We have to be taught how to do the right thing and with God. We have to be persistent. And keep praying about it. And praying about it. And not just for yourself. It says for all believers. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Don't just pray for yourself. That's a selfish thing. Pray for everybody. Pray for the people you don't like. Pray for the world. Pray for the lost. Don't attack them. Pray for them. You fight evil with good. Amen. And it's a good thing to pray. That's something we could all do. Amen. All right, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna. That was great. That was a good scripture. We're gonna be teaching on when the enemy strikes, when he comes. Sometimes we don't see it's him. He comes. We don't see. We're unaware that it's the devil. We think it's the people coming at us. We have to understand. We're gonna teach on it. It's coming. Don't worry, it's coming. But this is see. We have to understand. Wednesday we study the Bible. Saturday we do messages with topics. So there'll be a topic on the enemy. And then we'll teach on it. That's how it works. Amen? Amen? So you have to understand. But you always get something on Bible study too. It's the same thing. It's the principles of God. Alright, let's go to Titus. Let's continue our journey in the book of Titus. And we are going to be beginning chapter 3 tonight. So go to chapter 3. But I'm going to read something to you that you're not going to be there. Just stay in chapter 3. I'm going to read something to you. i got to keep the context. Because last week we talked in chapter 2. See, the first thing, the first chapter of Titus talks about the leadership and the role and what the qualifications are. Then the second chapter talks about how we conduct ourselves in the body, in the church. And then the, tonight we're going to be teaching on how we conduct ourselves in society, which is very, very important. These three chapters of Titus are something we should read over and over again when we question how I'm supposed to be in church, in the world, how I'm supposed to act. Just go in there and read it. It's very simple. All right, so just stay. Everybody there in chapter 3? Now I'm just going to just read something from chapter 2 and go right into chapter 3. It's only in the bottom, so just listen up now. In verse 11 of chapter 2, I'm going, to read right, I'm going to read right through. Don't go there. I'm going to read this to you. 
Okay? This is how important this is. It says in chapter uh, verse 11, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. In verse 12, And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should. It doesn't say we have to. No, it says we should. It's not a law. This is what we should do. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, the wisdom from God, the righteousness of God, and devotion to God. In verse 13, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave His life, listen what it says here, to free us from every kind of sin. Do you see it? Not only did he go on the cross guaranteeing us a place in heaven, he went to the cross to free us from sin. Our sin nature. He went there to free us from that. says it right here. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. Not just certain ones. To cleanse us and to make us his very own people. Totally committed. Oh, I mean, I got to be committed to this? Committed to what? To doing good deeds. See it? You must, each, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. That's what he was instructing Titus. And now he's instructing me to do it. You have the authority to correct them when necessary. So don't let anyone disregard what you say. That's why it's so important. What I'm saying, the grace of God has been revealed. We're instructed to turn from godless living. The grace of God is not to live a godless life. And continue in it. It's to turn from it and commit yourself to doing good things. The very reason why he saved you. Okay? That's why he saved us. He gave his life to free us from us in nature. Not to keep us in it. People get taught the wrong things in church. It's not okay to keep sinning. It's not. He told us he freed us from that. Did you not know what he did? You forgot that your, your sins have been forgiven. He freed us from it. Now it's up to you to stay free. And don't get tied up to slavery to the law again. Amen? You can get caught up in sin bondage again. And that's what he's going to say in chapter 3. Alright, let's go to chapter 3 now. Everybody there? Now I'm going there. And you're going to learn something tonight, okay? If you pay attention, you should go and read Titus when you, while we're studying it. Go home and read it. Amen? All right. Now what's going to talk about in chapter 3, right living in society. So I'm going to break these verses down. I'm going to stay in verse 1, and I'm going to explain verse 1. I'm going to stay in verse 2, and I'm going to explain verse 2. This is very important because people get the wrong idea of how we're supposed to live as Christians in society. Okay? And Titus teaches us, and then I'm going to teach you what the Bible says, how we should live in society. Amen? Amen. Alright, so you got your spiritual antennas on? Yeah. Okay, here we go. The first verse. Right living in society, to do what is good. Titus is telling the people in Titus. And Titus is telling the people in Crete, remind the believers to submit to the government and its offices. They should be obedient, always ready to do good. Listen, 
Christians got the wrong idea about the government. This government never stops us from worshiping God, so we should obey it because God put the government for us to protect us and to be obedient to it. Amen? We're to obey the government unless it tells us to compromise our Christian character and our morals, and it doesn't. So we have no reason not to obey the government. As Christians, our first allegiance is to Jesus as Lord, okay? But we must obey our government and its leaders as well. Christians are not above the law. Obeying the civil law is only the beginning of our Christian responsibility. We must do what we can to be good citizens. You see, that's a testimony. Being obedient and good citizens here is a testimony for Jesus. We must do what we can to be good citizens. If you want more information about this, get your pen out. I'm going to give you the verses. Acts 5.29, okay? Romans 13.1-14, okay? Those will give you more in-depth about how we are to obey this government, okay? And now we're going to read verse 2, all right? So we understand that now, right? You're not above the law as a Christian. We're not lawless Christians. When the, when the government says, hey, listen, you're supposed to recycle to help the earth, you put the stuff in the recycling bin like everybody else does. There's churches that don't recycle. Why? It's only for our benefit to keep the things going. There's nothing wrong with recycling. Well, I'm a Christian. I don't have to, I don't have to recycle. I don't have to obey the... That's a... From the pit of hell. What kind of a character does that show for a Christian not to obey it? It's wrong. That doesn't take us from God by throwing the bottle in the recycling bin. As a matter of fact, it's against the law not to recycle. The Bible tells us to obey the law. You remember when they got got captive in Babylonia? They said, if you obey those rules, you'll be okay in Babylon. But if you disobey them, you're going to be destroyed. God told them to listen to the government there and obey it. You're in America. God put you here. You obey the government. That's your duty as a Christian. It tells you to put out the recyclers. You put the recycling bin out. It tells you to do this. You do it. Anything that doesn't compromise your walking with the Lord, you be obedient to it. Very simple. I don't know where Christians think that they have some advantage that they don't have to do that because they're Christians. Ridiculous. I don't know who taught people that, but it's wrong. So there's more on it. How does one, Now we're going to read verse 2. Alright, so be obedient and always ready to do what is good. Verse 2. They must not slander anyone. Here it is right here. What don't Christians get in their head about slandering people? People in church, that's all they do is slander each other and complain about each other. Do you realize how much of a sin that is? That's worse than getting drunk in God's eyes. Slandering people. It says it right here. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. There's Christians in church that love to quarrel and start trouble. Instead, They should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. That's spiritual maturity. Be gentle and show humility to everyone. Now I'm going to expand on it. How does one show 
True humility. People get this idea about humility. Like, oh, if I just, you know, if I become passive, that means I'm humble. No, that's not what it means. I'm going to define it, okay? I'm going to give you the definition of humility and what God says about humility, okay? This is very important. Humility. Freedom from pride and arrogance. Number one, okay? The quality or state of being humble. The quality or condition of being humble, modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance, rank, etc. A modest or low view of one's own importance, humbleness. How could I say? How could I give an example? He needs the humility to accept that their way may be better. You ever understand? You know people, when they try to give you a different view, because of your pride, you won't accept another viewpoint that it might be a better viewpoint. That's pride. Humility is accepting that, you know what? Your viewpoint might be better. But God's viewpoint's definitely better. <laughs> but that's what true humility is. Being, say, I'm not that important. True humility, now, listen now. True humility is very elusive, a very elusive character trait. Yet the Bible regards it as a highly important quality. Jesus referred to himself as humble and gentle at heart. Remember that? And where did he get, where did I get that from? Matthew eleven twenty nine. If you want to copy the verses down and go look at them later, you can. I'm not going there for the sake of time. And in Romans 12, Paul wrote, the clearest definition of humility apart from Jesus' own example. He said, don't think you're better than you really are. It says, right? Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Humility, humility then boils down to having an honest estimate of ourselves before God. Okay? We show false humility when we project negative worth on our abilities and efforts. We show pride when we inflate the value of our efforts or look down on others. True humility seeks to view our character and accomplishments honestly. Recognizing that we have succeeded in an effort need not be pride. Amen? Did we get that? Humility. The evaluation of yourself, not other people. What do people do in church? They evaluate everybody else. And they won't get a mirror. Go get a mirror. Look at your own, what's going on with you and your prideful ways. And you're not willing to accept someone else's viewpoints. That's called hard-heartedness, the Bible calls it, or closed-minded. Jesus was not hard-hearted or closed-minded. He was very open-minded. And so should you. To someone else's viewpoint, because God sent that viewpoint to you. Amen. So your pride will knock you out of this, and God will not be with you in the prideful acts. He's with you in the humble state, not the prideful state. Amen. As a matter of fact, in the prideful state, God is actually working against you. And spiritual pride is the biggest sin in the church today. Because people have been coming to church for years, they think that they have this down, and they can, they're prideful. And their spiritual path. And they look down on others and they want beat people up with scriptures. Instead of loving people like Jesus. The laws are in stone. Jesus gave us a heart of flesh. Of easy, easy, easy heart. 
easy on people. Well, do you know in Psalm that tells you that? It's like, no, no. Empathize with people. All of us go through the same stuff. Nobody's above anybody inside the church. Nobody. Just because you've been coming, as a matter of fact, be careful telling people how long you've been a Christian and the way you conduct yourself when you come. Matter of fact, you're better off not saying anything. Because I hear a lot of times, well, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. You sure you want to tell people that? It seems like you've been walking with the devil instead. Because that's a prideful statement in itself. Well, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. Look at me. That's a prideful statement in itself. Say, I'm with the Lord today, sufficient. I, don't, I, can't, I can't use yesterday to save me for today. None of that has any value for now. Can I get any men again? Amen. Any man and a man. That's what pride is. That's what pride is. I've been a Christian. Look at me. I know the Bible in and out. Yeah, but I can't live any of it. And all I do is talk about people and complain all day. But I love Jesus. I digress. But see, this church is a little bit different. Jesus washed people's feet. You realize God himself washed people's feet as a leader. If you're going to be a Christian example as leadership, you ought to take the low position, not the high one. And what? Serve. The leader is the one who serves the people. Not gets exalted. The one who serves, it doesn't get exalted. God's the one who does the exalting. All right. We got that one down, right? We got verse 2. Good. We locked it in. Now I'm going to go to verse 3 and explain verse 3 because we're going to be very thorough in this because we need it. And when the Lord writes something, I'm saying, you teach it because they need it. And I don't care what they react to it. They need it. You give it. And I'm responsible for it. And I said, okay, Lord. I'm going to give it to them. <laughs> and uh, you know what? If you're humble, you'll love it. If you're prideful, you'll get like, Oof. what's he? Oh, man, I'm not, you know. You start to get offended. If you get offended by this, you got a hard heart and you got some problems in your heart. As a matter of fact, the Bible is supposed to offend you if you have pride. Now it says in verse 3, I love it. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. Ooh. Imagine we hated each other. Okay, now, that was the verse. I'm going to stay on that verse now, okay? I'm going to read it again. Once we too were foolish, we still are, and disobedient, and we still are. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures, and sometimes we still do. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and that can slip back in any believer's life, and hate and hated each other. Can a believer be a hater? Yes. Okay, now let me just expand on that now. Following a life of sinful pleasure, 
okay? And giving in to every sensual desire leads to slavery. Many think freedom consists of doing anything they want. But this path leads to a, a slavish addiction to sin and sensual gratification. A person is no longer free, but a slave to what his or her body dictates. And now, you don't have to go there. If you want, you can. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 to 19. You know, what he's talking about, this going back into slavery again. Matter of fact, yeah, turn there. 2 Peter chapter 2. This is if you're thinking of going back into it again, okay? Here's a little warning for you. God put this on me to teach this. Verse 17 of 2 Peter chapter 2. This is what he this is what Titus was expanding on. If you if you give your life into your sinful gratifications and pleasures, the Bible says that you're useless to God's kingdom. These people, look at verse 17, are as useless as dried up springs, or as a mist blown away by the wind, thinking that I'm free to do whatever I want. They're doomed to the blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. What controls you? That tells you that you're a slave to it. Does money control you? Does lust control you? That means you are enslaved by it. Now look what it says. And when look at verse 20. Here's the warning. When people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be you know what happens when you get enslaved to it again? It's even stronger and you can't get out of it. Once you become a Christian and go back to it, and you know it as well as I do. Whatever's enslaving you right now is powerful. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness or never knew this than to know it than reject the command they were given to live a holy life. You see it? They proved the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. What proverb is that? Proverb 26, 11. And another says... A washed pig returns to the mud. That's scary. So if you're thinking, or if you are, enslaved by some sin right now, I don't know what you're doing, I have no idea when you're not here, think twice and get out of it when you can, because if you keep staying in it, you might not ever get out of it while you're a Christian. Because you're worse off than before. Because now you're doing it, and you're doing it sneaky and you're coming to church when you were better off not coming to church and doing it. You were worse off than before because now you're being sneaky about it. And you're playing Joe Christian. And you're enslaved by all kinds of things again. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. I'm just giving you a warning. God told me to warn you. 
Whether you want to heed the warning or not is up to you. If you want to stay enslaved to the bondage of sin when you're really not free in Christ, don't deceive yourself because you come to church. You're enslaved to whatever controls you. Be honest in your evaluation, okay? Christ frees us from the desires and control of sin. Have you been released from its power? Ask yourself that question. Are you released from the power of sin in your life? Think about it. I don't want to know. I got my own struggles. Keeping my heart right is a 24-7 job. Don't need to hear about yours. That's between you and God. You want to be enslaved? That's up to you. I don't want to be. I'm not coming to church for nothing. I'm coming to church because I want to be saved from that. I don't want, I want to be free from slavery and I want to be a slave to Jesus, Amen. not to the devil. And you can't do both. You can't go home and be a slave to sin and then come and say you're a slave to Jesus. It's a lie. It's hypocrisy. And that's what's wrong with the church today because it's not purging. All right, let's go to verse four now. Did we get that one locked in good? Okay. All right, let's go to verse four now. But, Look at verse 4. When God our Savior revealed this... Oh, go back to um, Titus, by the way. Right, go back to Titus. Everybody back there? I'm sorry. I'm just getting warmed up. I'm, just, I'm getting warmed up and it's almost time to close already. So I can't even get into this more. But I'm going to. Don't worry. We're not going to be thorough with this because we need to be thorough. God says, be thorough with him so you're like this. They have no excuse now. They have no excuse when they come. Lord, I'm just weak. No, you're not weak. You have me and you've been taught right. Don't make excuses anymore. Stop doing it. Stop making excuses and using my grace for it to, to keep sinning. How about an amen for that? Okay. Now, verse 4. But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins. Do you see it? Giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. Do you realize He's given us a new life free from sin? If you want it. Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what sets us free from sin. Because nobody can stop you from sinning but the Holy Spirit. It comes inside you and it convicts you. People can tell you, blue in your face not to do something. If they still want to do it, they're going to do it when you're not around. But the Holy Spirit is, convicts you inside and you don't want to do it. For what? The sake of God. Because you, you sense it. You lose the desire for it. You won't grow it. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> this is beautiful. This is good stuff. You know that, right? Yeah. You're getting some good stuff right now. Yeah. And I'm just going to read to verse 8. Because this, this explains the Trinity, by the way. These verses from 4 to 8 explain the Trinity. Because look what it says. But when God, our Savior, all right, God, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of, He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ. There's the Trinity. There's mentioned right there. If anybody questions it, it's right there. Verses 4 to 8. The Trinity, 4 to 7. Our Savior, because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Isn't that awesome? Look, if we fail down here with our sinful nature, it does not stop us from inheriting eternal life. Thank God for that. You have to separate it now. 
The penalty of sin has been taken care of. Heaven is your home. If you fail down here, that does not take away you going to heaven. It takes away your freedom down here. You're still enslaved by sin. What he really set you free from. You're still enslaved to the bondage of sin, but you're still going to heaven. You can't get kicked out of his family. It's a gift. We're talking about two things. Salvation from the penalty of sin is dealt with a one-time event when you believed that puts you in heaven. Now, the process of overcoming the power of sin is what God's working on now. And you might not ever succeed in that. That's up to the believer. But that doesn't take you out of the kingdom. Thank God. It's not based on your performance. Don't get it wrong. That's why I have to keep going back to that. Because people think that I'm not saved if I keep sinning. No, we keep sinning because it's in our cell structure. But he says, I set you free from that. You no longer have to choose to do that. You can choose to serve me instead of sin. And the only way to serve Jesus is to get involved with ministry. And what, that's the only way to serve him. What else are you going to do? So you have to not only not do evil, you have to fight evil by doing something good. You've got to stop doing that and then live a life in ministry now. Whatever it takes, that becomes your life. Other than that, you're enslaved to sin again. Because the evil will come back if you don't do something good to replace it. It's called removal and replacement. How about an amen? amen. Okay, did we get that? All right, this, this, is, this, is, this is what I was going to talk about. Now, let's, let me go to these last verses and we're going to close. Paul summarizes in verses 4 to 8, okay, that Christ does for us what he does for us when he saves us. We move from a life full of sin to one we are led by God's Holy Spirit. All our sins, not merely some, are washed away. Washing refers to the water of the word, which is a sign of salvation. In becoming a Christian, the believer acknowledges Christ as Lord and recognizes Christ's saving work. We gain eternal life with all its treasures. We have a new life through the Holy Spirit, and he continually renews our hearts. None of this occurs because we earned or deserve it. It's a gift from God. All right, so this minute to talk about the, the Trinity now, because a lot of people, a lot of this is the Christians are the only ones that believe in the Trinity. There's a lot of religions out there that believe in God and the Holy Spirit. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is on God right. in the flesh. They don't believe that. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in these verses because all three participate in the work of salvation. Based upon the redemptive work of His Son, the Father forgives us and sends the Holy Spirit to wash away our sins and continually renew us. In this chapter, Paul stresses that believers must devote themselves to doing good. Paul understood good works as faithful service, acts of charity and involvement in civil affairs. While good works can't save us or even increase God's love for us, they are a true indications of our faith and love for Christ. That's the evidence of our faith and our love. Paul did not make this aspect of discipleship optional. Service to others is a requirement. Everyone who's a Christian should be involved. Does your church encourage everyone's involvement in service? Does it? Yes, it does. What can your church do to help every member identify the good works he or should be doing? 
Listen, all of us have gifts. I don't understand why people are not using them or looking for them. And the only way you're going to find them is through the ministry. You're not going to find them out there. But through the ministry, amen? That's how you find what God saved you for. I get excited about this. And people don't understand. Once you find it, you find why you exist. Why God saved you. Then you operate in it. And then you get truly free. And you're in delight because you know the very reason why he saved you. Then you identify with it and use it. And then you glorify God and you're always joyful. (laughs) No, it's up to you. You know all your gifts and talents that God's given you. Are you using them to serve him or yourself? That you have to ask your question. And the only way you can serve him is through ministry. If he calls you to another ministry, fine. But as long as you're doing something for the Lord. Doesn't matter what it is. He might send you overseas. But let me tell you something. I don't, there's enough problems here. There's no need for us to have to go overseas. He sent us to Rhode Island. Oh my goodness. That in itself. This living here is enough mission field. This little 50 whatever. How many square miles Rhode Island is. There's plenty of missions here. <laughs> Amen. Alright. We're going to have to stop there. All right, We're out of time. But we're going to continue. It was great. It was a great study. Just think about it. What God wants you to do. It's an awesome thing. Once you find it, you are truly free. And the sun sets you free. You are free indeed. You're free from what? All the lust and desires that you go to do when you're not here. You're free of all that. No longer in your mind anymore. Jesus is on your mind instead. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Huh? Meditation. That's right. All right. Brittany, Jasmine, and Deb are going to come up. We're going to stand and sing and close. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing
That was good. That's an awesome song, right? Even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. Cindy, you want to come close us in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you so much, Father, for your faithfulness and how good you always are to us, Lord. Even when things are bad, Father, you promise that you're going to get us to the va- through the valley and you're going to bring us to the hilltops, Lord, so that we can have a testimony to you, Lord. Thank you so much for this ministry. Watch over and bless John and Laurie. Thank you for all the people, Father, all over the world, listening to the word of truth. Lord, bless everyone here today. You know our needs. You know our struggles. But, Lord, you are always faithful, Lord. Thank you once again for all you do for us, Lord. You are the great shepherd, our father, our provider. And you said, stay under, stay with you. Stay in your fold and you will keep us safe. And in Jesus' name, we thank you always. Amen. 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 Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Till we meet again. God bless. Peace. Peace. Peace.